Children can be dismissed for children's church. You can turn your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Thank you, New Life Academy Choir. That was great. We appreciate it a lot. Thank you for directing our attention to praising God. And uh, we're going to talk this morning about, in some ways, the opposite of that, how everyone else lives. Um, the big idea for this morning is that Christ provides an alternative way to the way everyone else lives. Christ provides an alternative to the way everyone else lives. And uh, so we're going to be looking at the opposite of praising God, in a sense, and living in that praise of God this morning. And uh, if you were to uh, fill, fill in the blank, right? My life was blank this week. What would you say? What would you say? How would you fill in that blank? Uh, what is the, and, and to fill in that blank, usually you have to tell yourself a story, right? You have to tell yourself a story about how your week went. You know, my week was pretty good. You know, we got, a, got away a few days and we had some fun and we had a relaxing time and, uh, or... My life was pretty bad this week, you know, things didn't go the way I wanted it to, and things, uh, there was too many press, pressures, too many stresses, too many things that I felt not, not enough for, so to speak. And, and the story that you tell yourself and the story that you're living determines how you view your life. The... In Ephesians chapter 4, we've been looking at the fact that God has called us out of our lives into his life, in a sense, and that he's put us into this, this, this body called the church from people from every tribe and tongue and nation that are to be his new home, and he's been describing how we experience that ultimately through speaking the truth in love. To one another. And Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 24, give us kind of a, a quick snapshot, if you will, of what he means by speaking the truth in love. Uh, and so uh, this morning, I just kind of want to walk through that, and I'm just going to figure out where I'm at here, because the major, the major outline to the rest of the book for Ephesians, until you get to the conclusion in Ephesians chapter 6, is that we would speak the truth in love. And what does it mean to speak the truth in love? And so you have, uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, he talks about walking in love, because as, it, as we talked about before, speaking the truth in love could be better translated sometimes truthing in love. So you, you have to walk in love. In Ephesians chapter 5, 2, he talks about that. But then Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, he says, walk as children of life. Walk in, walk in the truth, right? So you have love and truth that we're both supposed to walk in. And then in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, walk in wisdom, right? So how do I combine truth and love together when I need to do that? And that's wisdom. And so he's, he, this is kind of a major a kind of outline to the rest of the book. And he starts off by, in a sense, giving us an explanation of speaking the truth in love, as well as why that's so important to do. How do we, why do we truth in love? Why do we live the truth in love? Why do we speak the truth in love? And he's, he's kind of moving in that sense from, from the sense of who we are to what we could be. And so I just, 
uh, we're going to back up now. Am I backing up here? Yes, I am. There we go. To this text here, and just focusing in, I'm going to read the whole thing, but but uh, notice what it says up here in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17. I'll read all the way to verse 24, and then we'll look at these three verses, because that's all we have time for this morning. It says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding and alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to, sen- to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but is not, that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which, is, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness, and holiness. Speaking the truth in love is, as, as he says earlier in the book, right, is, is essential to the body building itself up in love. So, so, so why, what does this look like? Why is this important? How do we do this? And what is he telling us here in Ephesians chapter 4 about how to do us, how to do this, and why this is so important? So up here, if you notice, I've got, again, here he's saying, now this I say and testify in the Lord. He's, he's, re- emphasizing that he's speaking, and in that sense, under the authority of Christ, under the direction of Christ. This is exhort. He's moving from, in a sense, exhortation or pleading to, hey, this is what we need to do. (laughs) We're going to fulfill what we need to do. But at the same time, he's emphasizing, I'm speaking the truth in love here, right? He's going to speak to us the truth in love. And he says that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds, He's saying the rest of the nations, it's because you could translate it just nations, well, the rest of the nations that aren't like the people of God, they walk in futility. It's, it's the same word that's translated vanity in the Greek version of the Old Testament in Ecclesiastes. You remember Ecclesiastes, right? Where the preacher says, vanity of vanities, everything's vanity, right? I tried everything. I lived my life. I built all these things. I experienced every pleasure in the world. I, did, I, I thought about my future, and I laid out my future, and it all turned out as I went through it to be vanity, to be futility, to be emptiness. It was, it was just it, nothing was there there. And that's what he's saying here, Paul is saying, that, that we should no longer walk as everyone else does because ultimately the way they think and the way they live is vain. It's empty. It's not that it doesn't satisfy at some level, but it has, when you get down to the root of it, it's empty. And then he gives five descriptions of why, in a sense, how you get to the fact that it's empty, okay? I'm sorry, did I say five? I meant seven, right? Uh, and so he walks through. These are all, in a sense, descriptions of what this looks like. And then he ends by saying, but that is not the way you learn Christ. And you got to come back next week. New Life I'm Academy Choir, we'll just have you back next week, and we'll go through it. Now, they can't be here, but you guys can come back, and we'll talk about what happens. How do we speak the truth in love but we have to ex- explore here why we, need, why we need to not live like everyone else lives. Why Christ provides a different alternative. And so he says here 
They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Notice the, the, in some ways the parallels here. There's understanding and ignorance here. Dark, there's alienated from the life of God, hardness of heart here. But it's just kind of a stream... Think of, think of it more like an outline of a, 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 a stream of pearls, right? Uh, it's not, there's not so much parallels as they are like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. He's just, he keeps going along this line. And he says this, they're darkened in their understanding or they're, they're confused. They don't really see things the way they really are. Why? Why don't they see things the way they are? Because they're alienated from the life of God. They're they're separated from true life. They they don't get what what God provides. Why why don't they get that? Because of the ignorance that is in them. Wait a second, Paul, you just said they were confused and, in a sense, ignorant. Why do you come back to that? But but he's saying there's something behind. It's not a, they're not stupid as in they have low IQs. He's, He's not saying that, right? He's not saying that they, they can't see the world around them. He's saying there's something inside of them that is ignorant. And what is, why are they ignorant inside of them? Because of their hardness of heart. That is, they're stubborn in their desires, right? They have this stubbornness about what they want out of life. And that stubbornness is what causes this problem. Why are they stubborn? Because they've become callous. Or the word, the word is kind of a, it's a broad range of meanings. It's the idea of, of uh, uh, covering shame, of hiding shame, of numbing. That's the, that's where we get the word callous, right? That you put a, you wear a callous on something. Why? Because you rub it so long that, that it becomes not un- unsensitive, right? But unsensitive is really not the right idea behind it, and that's where the idea of uh, callousness comes in. I'm going to talk about numbing shame in a minute in regards to this. But they've become callous. They, they, they don't understand. They're, they're stubborn because they want something, and they, they're insensitive to anything else but what they want, well, why are they insensitive to anything but what they want? Because they've given themselves up without restraint, or as it says in the ESV, given themselves up to sensuality. The word here for, for to sensuality is the idea of just they're, they're, there's no restraint. They're, they're, they're saying, I, 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 the, the rules that I, they don't satisfy me. The, the rules that, that are put in place in society or in my life that my parents gave me, they, they don't ultimately satisfy. And therefore, why is that true? Because they're greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Literally, in the Greek, it's, it's that they, they give themselves up to the end of, to the result of working all kinds of impurity with greediness. And the focus is on that, that sense of greed. It's translated in other places, covetousness. And it's basically saying, this whole way through is basically saying, they have desires that aren't met. And they think 
that they have to pursue those desires to the fullest in order to satisfy those desires, and they end up alienated from the life of God because of it. So I want to walk you backwards through the text, okay? We're going to start at the idea of greediness and work backwards to help, you, to help you understand this and to see how this works. And I'm saying this is, again, this is a broad strokes. These are broad strokes for Paul. He's saying this is the way kind of everyone operates, but that doesn't mean you can just say, well, this person operates that way or that person operates this way. He's just saying these are broad strokes for how people without God operate. So the first thing that I want you to, I've got to move forward back up to my that is the first point here is the desire, that idea of greediness or, or just covetousness is infinite and invite shame, okay? The desire is infinite and invite shame. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, we have these desires. He's saying, we, we think, previously he'd been talking about the church and how, how, how do, where do we live? How do we live? And he's talking about the fact that we're, we're in Christ, that we're, that we're chosen before the foundation of the world, that we're adopted, that we're, that we're redeemed, that we have an inheritance in heaven waiting for us, that we know what God is doing in the world through Christ. These are things that God has given to us. These are the grace, grace that's given to us, and we live as Christians. Hopefully, our, our, the ideal or the, the goal we have is to mature in swimming in grace, swimming in this ocean of grace, realizing that everything around us, because of what Christ has done for us and the, what God has given us, is that we, we walk and live in grace. And here he's almost the opposite. And if you, if you notice, there's seven of those, right? And it, in some ways, there's not a, it's not an accident that, that it mimics the seven ones that are earlier in the chapter, right? Or one in faith and baptism, one, in, one God and Father of all. There's seven ones. And here he mimics it with seven things that describe the vanity, the foolishness of life. And instead of living in an ocean of grace... Everyone else lives in an ocean of desire. Without God, what we live in is an ocean of desire. We all want things, right? We, we get up and like, what do I want today? But I'm not just talking about the things I want. Like, well, I need some food for breakfast. And I need, to, you know, I want to go to church today. Or I don't want to go to church today. I want to, not, not just those, but the, the bigger desires of life. If I would step back and let you into my innermost desires, I want to be known. I want people to know me, the real me, the one that has thoughts and activities and desires, that has dreams. I want I want you all to know me. And I want you all to know me not just for today. I want you to know me as long as I exist. Not only do I want you all not to know me, but I I want to be safe. I don't want anyone threatening my life. I don't want my anyone threatening my life just today. <laughs> I want no one threatening my life this week and this year and 
as long as I exist, right? Like, who wants to live in an existence where someone's threatening your life, right? No one wants that. Not only do I want that, I want, I want love. I don't just want to be known. I want to be valued. And I want to be valued as something precious, right? And those desires don't get satisfied by just someone coming up to me and like, oh man, Pastor Will, that was a great sermon. Good job. I really value you. And that's nice, but I don't want that once. I want that 10,000 times, right? Like, I don't want to have anyone else come up. I don't want anyone else to come up. Man, that was terrible. What what were you thinking, you know? Who wants that, right? You get what I hear me say. When I say desires are infinite, not just the desires for, for, you know, what am I going to wear today, but these desires that we have to be loved, to be known, to be secure, those desires are infinite, we, we don't want to move away from them. We, we swim and live as human beings in this ocean of desire. It reminds me of what C.S. Lewis once said, right? He said, if I find myself in myself, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy. The only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Can I paraphrase? If I find in myself desires for nothing in which this ocean of desire can ultimately satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another ocean. But this is the ocean that everyone swims in. We swim without God in this ocean of desire. We live in a kind of funny world, a different world than the world I grew up in. In the world I grew up in, most people didn't live live together before they got married. Now that's primarily what takes place. And so... I, I find it fascinating to talk to people who are thinking about getting married and saying, why do you want to get married? Because you don't have to get married in today's world. There's no stigma to, to, to living together, right? It's just what people do, right? So another thing that didn't want to happen to me, I know one of those things that I wish never happened to me in a sense, right? That infinite desire of never having your, your tire go flat. But it happens. Uh, my tire went flat. Actually, uh, we were on the way home um, a couple weeks ago. Yes, we have these, one of these travel stories. This is the way my life goes. And uh, on the way home, hit something in the road, blew the tire. It was spectacular. Forced it out of front tire, back tire, blew out, and uh, pulled over the side of the road, wrong side of the road. We're not too close to home. I can't just call my dad and say, Dad, come pick me up. Um, but we need to get it fixed, too. So uh, fortunately, my brother-in-law could come get the rest of the family out of the car, and I went with a tow driver 
to get the, 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 the tire fixed. And um, he, he got me on the tow truck, so we get off the, off the side of the interstate. We were driving along, and he's telling me about all these businesses that he's started. He's got several businesses going. He's, also, you know, he's a young guy. I don't know. He was maybe 30. Um, I realize my age detection is not so great. But he seemed about 30, but he had several businesses he was doing. He's had a lot going on, a lot like just several things happen, so he's fairly successful in life. Well, we're getting closer to the tow shop, and it just the conversation turned, and I, I mentioned that I was married, I had kids, and I just asked him, I was like, are you married? Do you have kids? And he's like, no, but my, my girlfriend and I are thinking about getting, getting married. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, he's like, when? He's like, well, we were thinking about doing it this year, but we're going to really have to push it off till next year. But we're, it's not a rush. And I, of course, it tells me right there, right? It's not a rush to get married. It's because you're already living together, right? So just that's the way it works. And because uh, any guy's like, I want to get married as soon as possible. That's just the way, that's the way guys are. And so, so he, I'm like, oh, it's not a rush. So, you know, what, what, why do you want to get married? He's like, well, you know, just want to have a beautiful ceremony and things like that, right? Uh, and uh, it's, it's just, it's fascinating to me. Why? Because we have these desires and you say, well, in this world, why get married? I mean, the real reason why people get married is because they have desires for things that are good and beautiful and precious. And everybody wants a beautiful memory of your commitment together. Everyone wants something like that. Everybody wants security in a relationship. They want those things. They want something that's good and beautiful. They want something that's secure. Unfortunately, I didn't have time to pursue that because we got to the toast shop and things changed. But to me, it's fascinating to consider why people do what they do, right? And the reason here is because if desire is infinite, then, and we can't, then we can't ultimately satisfy that desire on our own. Because we're finite. We have limits. And if we can't satisfy the desire for beauty and peace and love and security on our own, then we're vulnerable. We need someone else to come in and provide it to us or for us. And if we can't get that, then... We are in a place of failure. We are in a place of threat. We are in a place of the word, the emotional word is shame. We, 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 when we recognize our desires for love and peace, we open ourselves up to being vulnerable, and that vulnerability invites shame. Just ask any guy who wants to ask out a girl, <laughs> oh, I want to ask out a girl, but what? She could reject me. I'm now vulnerable. I want to ask the girl out, but I'm now vulnerable. <laughs> and if she says no, then I'm ashamed. And that's the world that everyone lives in. It's the world that Adam and Eve lived in, right? Just want to remind you of, of how this, this, is, this is the story we all live in, right? The story that we're all a part of. 
It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked. They were vulnerable and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Here we have Adam and Eve at the beginning, and and Eve sees something that's beautiful and good in her eyes and and helpful to her, something that will give her security, she thinks, and that is to eat of this fruit and to gain something that she doesn't have because it's not in herself unless she eats it. And she invites destruction and shame why? Because every, everyone has a tr- fruit we are trying to pick. We're just like Eve. We're trying to possess the good, the beautiful, the secure, the wise, to be enough, to, be, to, to have everything I need, to be satisfied in my desire. We're all trying to pick fruits. This week you are trying to pick fruit, something beautiful. Oh, I want to have this vacation. <laughs> it's going to be beautiful to me. It's going to be restorative to me. It's going to be great to me. I want this. Oh, I want this relationship. I'm going to talk to this person and pursue this person. Why? Because it'll be good for me. It'll be beautiful to me. I'll be more secure. I'll be more happy. This is what we do. What everyone does. And part of what Paul is saying here when he says, he just switches right there in the text and says, but you have not learned Christ this way, is he's saying, look, If desire is infinite, the only thing that helps that is not to live in an ocean of desire. It's to go to the God of infinite grace. I was made for another ocean. I was made to take my infinite desires to an infinite God and have God meet me in ways I cannot take care of myself. My desire to be loved, I take that to a God of infinite love who can love me from the beginning of of time and before time to the infinity of time, never-endingness of time, and he can love me all the way through that. My desire to be secure, to to be settled. Christ says, I've won an inheritance for you that is secure, that cannot be destroyed. But if I take my desire and I take it out there in the world and try to find something to fulfill my desire, well, then I invite shame. And therefore, everyone tries to numb their shame. And I come into this second point with a little trepidation because I was helping, and I do this sometimes, I don't do it all the time, but I was talking to my wife about uh, this point, and she's like, I disagree with your point. I'm like, What? It's biblical. It's right there. It's biblical. She's like, yeah, but not everyone numbs their shame. Sometimes they feel their shame. I was like, okay, so I rethought it. 
But, okay, if I don't say it very well and you're like confused at the end of this, then text me, email me. It's like, I'm still confused. And I'll be like, okay, we can talk about it because I don't know how else to do this. It's a conversation to an extent. But, but everyone, he, what does he say here? Becoming calloused. They give themselves up. People give themselves to desires, hoping that those desires will satisfy. Just what do I got to do to satisfy this desire? And they give themselves to it. And what happens is they numb themselves. They try to numb their shame in the process. And this doesn't mean they numb themselves emotionally. What I'm saying is they numb themselves to the reality of where they're at. They numb themselves to the reality of where they're at. I ran across a phrase in a book I was reading recently, that time management is pain management. We manage our lives, we plan our lives, and one of the main ways that we plan our lives and structure our days is to manage our pain, to make sure that we don't have too much of it. Now this idea here in the text that it says where they gave themselves up to, it's mirrored in Romans chapter 1, where it says God gave themselves God gave them up to. Let's go just look at that. Remind ourselves of the text here in Romans chapter 1. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Does that remind you of Ephesians 4, right? Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Why? Why did God give them up? Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creator rather than, the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. They went from living in an ocean of grace to a lie of living in an ocean of desire, that that desire could be satisfied, right? What's the lie? the lie? The lie is that if I get what I want, I will be happy, I will be satisfied. If I get what I want, you'll say, well, isn't that true? Like, I don't know how any of us still, anyone else to live. The, the lie is not that you don't need to get what you want to be satisfied. The lie is that you know what you need <laughs> And therefore, you know what you want. God knows what you need. He's an infinite, eternal God. And so, another comparison here, because he's, he's, he's doing two things here. He's, he's kind of reshaping what he just said to the church. So another way of thinking about this is a, that adulting language that he used in the, in the previous paragraph, right? Where he said, let's go from being children to being adults in grace. Think about it from this perspective. We've got high schools around. Uh, my kids go to Gilbert. Um, some kids go to Ames. Some kids go to Nevada. Ballard, right? You've got these high schools around. And what are they trying to do? They're trying to prepare our children. Even if you're homeschooling, you're trying to do this too. You're trying to prepare your children to be adults. And what that hopefully means is they no longer live in your house and they're able to live on their own, Right? That's what you hope happens. It's not happened for me yet. I'm not kicking Kaisa out. Sorry, you're okay, Kaisa. Just, but but, uh, but it, the, the goal is that they would be adults. They could be self-sufficient, right? That, that's their goal. Um, 
But, and so what do we, what do they train, what do high schools are, what are they training them to do? Well, they're trying to be, get them, you know, like, give, them, give them the knowledge they need. Well, it's more than knowledge, right? What are they, they're trying to give them the skills to, to master their desires. So like, if you want to be, you want to be a doctor, here's the skills you need to do that. You want to, you want to be a, a theater director, here's the skills you need to do that. Here's, you want to be a mom, well, here's the skills. He's like, they're, they're, they're teaching you how to master your desires, some kids along the way go, I'm not going to master those desires. And they come up with a different strategy. They minimize those desires with other ones. Like for instance, you know people that are like, I want to make money. They, they sense that need to make money in life. And they're like, I want to make money. And they, they go after it. Maybe they pursue a finance degree or some other degree. And then you have people that go through life and they're like, you know what? Let me show you that I don't need money to be happy in life, right? Look how, how, get, how I get by on a shoestring budget. Look how I get by on hardly working at all. Look how satisfied in life. And there's two different kind of approaches there. It reminds me of, of my dogs and my cats, right? Dogs are like, they're like, hey, isn't this fun? Oh, this is great. I love this food. food. Let's go after food. This is awesome. Food is wonderful. I love food. As much as I can get a food, I like food, right? Dogs are like that. You can just like put a treat in there. And even though they don't want to go in the cage, they're like, oh, eventually I go in the cage because I want food. Cats are another story altogether, right? Cats are like, oh, I'm perfectly capable of catching my own food. I don't really need you. But, you know, since you provide food sometimes, and because I feel it's my responsibility to remind you to do what you're supposed to do, I will meow at you at odd times to give me food that I don't really need because it's your duty to give me food, right? That's what cats do. And, and, and they, they, they need food, and they won't always catch it themselves. But they're not willing to acknowledge their need for food. They just are like, you got to give it to me. So there's two different approaches, and you see that in ourselves. But here's the difference between animals and humans. And it goes back to Adam and Eve. Dogs are saying, look at me. You know, I need food. We love food, right? Cats are saying, look at me, I don't need food, I'm self-sufficient. It's all wrapped up in desires, but what humans do is they take fig leaves and they say, look at me, don't see the real me, see the fig leaf. Animals are just animals, but we hide our vulnerability. We hide those desires behind fig leaves of other making. We, right, I mean, just, I can think of Eve, right? She, she can approach this from two ways, right, with the fig leaves. She could have been like, oh, these fig leaves? Yeah, <laughs> this is just terrible. Just something I picked up along the way, you know. If you give me a couple years, I can have a full dress of cotton, you know. Just give me a couple years, it'll be great. Or she could have been like, fig leaves? These are the latest in fashion. You should, you should notice these fig leaves. They're awesome, right? There's two different approaches there. But it's still about the fig leaves, and it's not acknowledging that there's something I don't want you to see. There's something that makes me eminently vulnerable. 
eminently exposed. And I don't want you to reject me. I don't want you to ignore me. I don't want you to hate me. And so I hide. Here's a illustration here of a boat, right? Guys are, two guys are bailing out one side. The other guys are sitting there like, sure glad the hole isn't at our end. <laughs> and to an extent, they say, that's society, right? Like, we're all like, as long as it doesn't affect me, no big deal. And obviously, the, the author of this cartoon is like, well, this affects us all, ultimately. And, and he, he, obviously, the author, in some sense, is saying, we all should be concerned. Like, we should... And so whether you're on the doesn't affect me or the we should all be concerned end, here's what I want you to think about. He's writing this and he's still hiding an ultimate vulnerability. I don't care if you're working at the, the problems of society or if you're like, who cares? No one really knows how to solve society, Right? We don't. Do we know what to do with Ukraine? You say, well, we, we got to fight them and stop them. Okay, yeah, how really are we going to do that? No, how really? Well, somebody should, like, poison Putin, right? He's always afraid of that anyway. Like, okay, how really? Is that really going to solve the problem? Like, we, we, we hide behind this, this idea that if I do something, it's better than doing nothing. And in the process, we're hiding our vulnerability. We're hiding the fact that we don't have the answers, that we can't fulfill our desires. That's what we all do. Why? Because we don't have God. We've rejected Him. I think another illustration here that I was thinking of was just parenting, right? Every parent wants to raise their kids to be quote-unquote perfect, whatever that definition of perfect is. And, and so we learn about parenting, and we study parenting, and we work at parenting, and we forget that in the history of humankind, no parent has turned out a perfect child. <laughs> like, it's, it's an impossible task, right? There's, well, you could say, okay, there's one parent who's turned out per- perfect child, Mary and Joseph. Let's go to them to find out how to parent, so we go to Mary and Joseph, and it's really um, kind of reassuring in Scripture because the one story we have of parenting in, in, in Scripture is Mary losing Jesus for four days. I don't think that would sell as a parenting book. Like, how to get your kid to be perfect. Lose them in Jerusalem for four days. No, right? Because God made us we have to include him in the picture. And we're always trying to exclude him from the picture. And when we do that, we live in this ocean of desire that is infinite, that invites shame. And then all we just try to do is hide the shame. Hide the shame. Now, that, going back to that conversation I had with that tow truck driver, he, at that point, he knew I was a pastor. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
So if I bring up getting married and living together, I didn't have time to pursue this, but I'm sure, I mean, like, you know, just how this works. One of his thoughts was, in a sense, Christians, you know, they think we don't deserve getting married, having a wedding, because we're living together, right? That, that could be one thing that crossed his mind. But that is not the way Christians think, or they shouldn't think anyway. Why? Because I, I know myself, I know my need for what is true and beautiful and secure. And it's, the fig leaf is just thinking, well, if someone else is, if they would just stop judging me, then I would be okay. <laughs> no. We still have the ultimate problem. We can't fulfill our desires without an infinite God coming into the picture. And Christians aren't saying, we deserve the good, the true, and the beautiful. And if you don't measure up, if you don't do the right things, then you don't deserve the good, the true, and the beautiful. What Christians are saying is that God is the only source of the good, the true, and the beautiful. If we don't go to him, if we don't listen to him, if we don't depend on him, if we don't come to him by faith, none of us deserve it. We haven't, definitely haven't earned it. And what Paul is saying is that this way of living leads to being alienated from the life of God and not understanding why. Why can't I have peace? Why can't I have love? Why can't I have joy? Why do I always struggle with all of these things? Because you're separated from the only source of it, and you don't know why. And so what happens? This leads to vanity. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Kids accuse parents of vanity. Like, oh, you're, just living for, you're just living for your security when you retire, parents. You don't, you don't think about what, what my needs are or, or how I can live. And, and parents accuse kids of vanity. Like, you're, just, you're not thinking straight here. You know what I mean? Like, you're only 20 years old, and you think you've got your life planned out, and you don't know it all yet. And we just accuse, cultures accuse each other of vanity, right? Like, oh man, our culture is better than your culture. You're, what do you, why do you live that way? That is weird. Like, we, we just accuse one another of vanity all the time. And Paul's point here is not to be angry or disdainful of the way everyone lives. It's to help you, us see and them see that they are more confused and deluded, but just stubborn in that delusion. That the enemy is not flesh and blood as he ends up in Ephesians chapter 6, but the demonic powers that encourage the stubbornness of our desire. The desires we have will not get solved by giving into them, nor by denying them, but, but by satisfying them in God. This is what it means to follow Christ. Speaking the truth in love means we should be willing and eager then to look to Christ. Because Christ provides an alternative to this with repentance based on grace. He's saying, look at what I did for you. And not only what I did for you, but how I related to God. Christianity is not a list of rules to do that keeps you from being destroyed for wanting the wrong things, right? Like if you just do these rules, then you won't be destroyed because you wanted the wrong things. Nor is it doing enough of the good things that you can, so you can do whatever you want later on. Like, okay, man, you did all your responsibilities, so now you're free. You can do whatever you want. It's a radical relationship where I believe God's grace can satisfy my deepest, infinite desires when I trust him moment by moment. 
that I can want God and let him give me my desires, right? Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. It's to, it's to realize we need that and that the only way that we can get that is through Christ, that he provided the way to having that kind of relationship with God so that we're chosen, redeemed, adopted into God's family and given this eternal inheritance that cannot be destroyed. So if you're here this morning, the first thing that you should know is that God sees you. God knows you. He knows everything about you, and he still loves you. He loved you enough to send Christ to die on the cross for you, to secure you, to cleanse you, to give you grace. That those desires you have for your family, for yourself, you can take them to him. And the God of infinite grace can meet those infinitely if you just trust him. And if you're here this morning and you haven't done that, all you do is have to do is trust him. And you do that by calling out and asking too. And Romans 10, 13 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You'll be delivered from this ocean of desire that just destroys you. This hiding behind shame that ultimately seals you off from everything else. And if you're a Christian here this morning, I encourage you, in your conversations, talk about desire. Christians should be one of the first ones to be like, well, what do you want? And why do you want that? Because it opens up the door to be like, how does Christ fulfill that? If you're, if you're never willing to like enter into somebody's conversation and be like, well, why do you want that? Hmm, that's interesting. I'm not judging you. I'm just saying, why do you want it? Uh, then let's talk about, is that really going to get fulfilled or not? And she was like, well, how do you do that? Well, you have to come back next week. Okay, so I'm out of time. But, but we should be ones that recognize the truth about desire. We should realize we are, God made us with infinite desires. Why? Not so we can walk around this world frustrated, but so we can walk around this world realizing that we need him, that we need his love, his peace, his joy, his creation. This is all his world, and we live in it. And he wants us not to know it as much as it is to know him. Will you know him? Will you swim in his grace this week? You'll have to come back next week to find out how. You could always just read the passage yourself. I'd encourage you to do that too. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your goodness to us. We're thankful that you don't leave us in an ocean of frustration and therefore an ocean of shame. But you provide a way to your ocean of grace where the air we breathe, the relationships we have, the life we live is governed by your grace.
For by grace we are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one should boast. For we are your workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Lord, you have this wonderful plan of grace for our infinite lives. Help us to remember that. Help us to walk in that. Help us to speak the truth in love to one another. In your son's name, amen.